Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, I'm not going to say too much at the top of this one because I, Rosie's laughing at me because I always say I'm not going to say too much and then I get, well, I get in one of these sort of holes. Like you laugh and then I start talking about you laughing and then the people at home are like, why the fuck don't you just get into the podcast episode? No, it's a fair point and you make it well, people at home. At least you make it well in my head when I imagine what you're thinking at this time. Again, me speculating on, oh, Rosie's now mouthing to me, shut the fuck up. So I will shut the fuck up after I mention that I'm going to do my show Illegal as part of the Darwin Festival. It's not on sale yet, but uh, if you're in Darwin, um, I haven't been up to Darwin for a little while and I'm going to the Darwin Festival to do my Illegal show about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga, I've got to do it, um, obviously, before Michael Slater gets in and starts doing his show about uh, <laughs> his trouble. So anyway, if you're not from Australia or you don't follow cricket, I mean, just Google that, I guess. Anyway, I'm, I'm on, on a bunch of other podcasts at the moment. Tea with Alice, Alice Fraser's podcast. You can catch me on that. Um, I did a uh, cricket podcast, The Final Word. Uh, check that out if you enjoy hearing me talk about cricket. I am on that. There's a little dum-dum episode. And, of course, uh, Tofop, Fofop. Uh, and Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL podcast, they are all available. But today, uh, Andy Lee. Andy Lee is on the podcast. Uh, I am not going to say too much about uh, what happens in this podcast because I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's a pretty interesting one. I think uh, people are going to be very fascinated by the conversation that Andy and I have today. Um, I'm glad that uh, he had it with me. I, I thought it was in- extremely generous of him to come and do the podcast and um, I enjoyed the fact that we got to have uh, this chat together. I will say no more because I don't want to prejudice it. Uh, listen, uh, enjoy. Uh, hope you like this. If you like the podcast, uh, it, it is helpful if you like rate it on iTunes or share it around. Like I don't have a budget or anything. Uh, I don't make any money out of this podcast. <laughs> In fact, it probably costs me money, but I like to not investigate that too much because if I realize how much money it actually costs me, I might stop doing the podcast. So let's just assume it's a break-even <laughs> operation. Let's just assume. <laughs> let's not do the accounting. Let's assume. But if you share it around uh, and you let people know about it, uh, particularly this episode, if it's interesting to you, uh, then um, anyway, shut the fuck up, Will, is what you're all saying. Shut the fuck up. So I will enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, very excited uh, to have our guest on the podcast today. He's a man that I uh, have a great deal of admiration for. Uh, he is uh, an absolute superstar, one of the uh, nicest people I've met in this crazy industry of show business as well. So we'll probably get to that. But I'm going to just jump in really quickly because we have a limited time and I have a lot of questions to ask mm-hmm. and I know we're going to have a good chat. So it starts like this. Who are you? I am Andy Lee. Hello, Andy Lee. <laughs> It's nice I, to have you on. And some I've noticed, I've, I've heard, I've listened to the podcast, mm. and some people jump in and say what they do, and I'm going to say I am the other half of Hamish and Andy. Oh. That's probably where it sits. Okay, you're not yeah. the Hamish bit. I'm not the <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if you came on this and revealed that you actually did are both Hamish. Voices, did vo- oh, both yeah. voices. That would be incredible, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Yeah, and you've just hired Hamish to play Hamish on any television appearances. Exactly, like the Millie Vanilli. He's just the guy that goes around and uh, pretends to be the voice where I do both of them. Yeah, that would be extraordinary. Not not the case, unfortunately. Uh, Working with somebody, being so closely identified with somebody Mm. else, um, how is that? Like, because... Mm. 
you are both, you know, individuals yes. and you both are now exploring your individuality in a more public way, you know, mm-hmm. doing projects that aren't the both of you together. Yep. But in, in many ways, probably for the rest of your life, yes. there's certainly going to be a connection when somebody thinks of you, they're going to think of Hamish and vice versa. Yes. Yeah. Um, are you comfortable with that? Very. Yeah. Very. And I, I look, and not putting, putting words in Hamish's mouth, but I reckon, I probably reckon I'm more comfortable with that than him at times. Um, you know, I, I probably, I'm not sure whether I would have done this if I didn't meet him. Um, I just found, we just found each other so much fun to, to be around and so much and, and making each other laugh so much that that's what was the driver. And I've always been a fan of, um, team sports and things in life, like doing things. And even with my girlfriend, like, oh, they should come to this. And she's like, can we just do it? Do us. So I like you know, sharing those moments. I feel like it, I feel like the highs, um, are higher because you've got someone to, uh, to share it with. And then the lows are nowhere near as low because you can laugh about it together and you can go, God, that didn't go well. And so it, it probably isn't a level of comfort for me that I really like. I think there's a lot of jealousy of what you, Hamish, and you have managed to create in that sense from other performers, you know, because, Often, you know, people have worked with other people and even worked closely with other people, but often it ends really badly. <laughs> yeah. Like often, you know, those, those iconic partnerships you're thinking of, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, you can't even get them in the same studio now. Like, yeah, this is true. And, and we, we taught, we kind of became cognizant of that as, as it went on to go, oh wow, like let's continually check in with each other so that doesn't happen. And not to say it won't happen, it could still happen. You never know the kind of things that can divide people. Um, but I, I doubt that it will be a creative difference. Now I feel like, um, we, you know, you certainly have moments of, and particularly when I started out, like I was like first year of radio, you know, why is he getting the laughs and I'm not, or like, you know, Haim loves sending down punchlines at the end. Like, why couldn't you let me just have that moment or those, those bits of push and pull, and, um, then I realized I'm trying to go to head to head with a guy that I think is like one of the funniest in the world. So maybe I should just be, <laughs> be stepping back, but it's the revelation of like a laugh for the group and a laugh for the team is a laugh for me. Or like, that is the great, as soon as I realized that I just started loving the job. Yeah. It's okay to be Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Scotty Pippen <laughs> yeah. is still one of the greatest <laughs> basketballers of all time. He just happened to play in a team with Michael Jordan. Jordan that's it. Yeah. And that, I think that was, that was really liberating. Like to go, oh, cool. To the point where like, you know, we write stuff for each other. You're like, oh, this is actually more, this will be funnier if you do this. Um, rather than going, I wrote this, so I have to have to be the guy saying it. Um, and that was a nice place to get to. And it suddenly we felt like we were, we're away. How, how long do you reckon it took you to get to that place? I reckon about for me. So I don't know if a Hayman, not sure if the Hayman ever felt this, but for me, I, it took about a year, a year of working together. Cause I mean, I have some insight into this, mm. not, you know, not insight into your own particular circumstance, but I don't think that either of us are being, over the top when you, I, I also agree with what you're saying about Hamish. Like I, in so far as someone being naturally quick witted and naturally funny, like I've worked with many of the best comedians in the world and I would happily, you know, have Hamish go head to head with any of them in, you yeah. know, being able to be funny off the, uh, off the cuff. Yeah. So you are in a situation where 
you know, by the nature of working with that person, yeah. you know, the attention is always going to be slightly more focused on, on that. And yeah. It is one of those things where you're going, well, I'm really funny and I'm really good at this and I'm really good at radio. And you know what? Like, yes, he's got a whole bunch of punchlines, but there was somebody setting up those punchlines or creating the energy in that room. Like, so I imagine that there was some you having to go, I've got to put a little bit of my ego aside. Mm. And by the way, your relationship is not a a straight man and funny man. You're both very funny. I think you, I think that's interesting. Like by... By nature, people think there has to be a straight man and a funny man. Yeah. And that was probably the old school way of doing it back in vaudeville times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I do think that's true in some respects for the greater good. Um, you know, I, I will go and perform and we've done comedy festival shows together, Will and you and I, where I will be far, I'll go, I, I can feel like I can do more punch. I'll mm. do, I'll go for, I suppose, more shots. Um, then I might when we're, then Hamish and I are together. Um, and there's sometimes where you might go on a panel show or, um, I'm filling in for someone on radio and their role's actually more administrative and they're a bit straighter where I can, I go and try and play on the other side and people after that go, Oh, actually you're, you're pretty funny today. And you know, there were times in my career where I go, Oh, right. I wish I could show more of that. But I felt like as time went on, Ham and I found our routine better to allow us both to shine where I think when we were getting produced earlier, it was even people telling me, no, Andy, you need to be a bit straighter. You need to be doing this. And I'd be going, oh, okay. I don't really want to, well, this feels unfair. Um, but again, once I kind of got used to that being for the greater good, um, and just being super proud of what Hamish and I were doing, um, collectively, it was just so free. Yeah. It's just like, oh, great. This is not hard anymore. Why am I worried about any of this? Stuff? One of the things I've always said is people only count who's getting the most laughs if the thing's not working. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. If the thing's working, yeah. then everyone is funny. Yeah. Like no one, you know, you don't watch an episode of Seinfeld and go, well, Jerry got 16 jokes away and George got 14 <laughs> jokes away and Kramer true. got, a, like, you know, you're like, this is a hilarious show yeah. and everyone in it is hilarious. Great, great th- way to look at it because that is... That was where it got to for us. And, um, I also, I also don't want this. People can be weird and go, okay, I will stifle someone in an ability to make myself look better when I've done live shows with other people and they're playing the laugh count game where I go, wow, blocking, blocking someone. So you can then get the laugh is another way some people go about it, but yeah, for Haim and I trying to make each other laugh and getting as many as possible is what we've been playing. Uh, I don't, uh, much like when Hamish was on the podcast, I don't actually want to spend a lot of time talking about the yeah. two of you together. I'd rather yeah. talk about you like individually, but you know, if we do it up top, then yeah. it's done and we can Well, I want to play something on. with you, which is, which is pretty confronting. Well, I was about to, okay, well go on, yeah. P- please do it. Cause I think so, we were about to go to the same place anyway. Yeah. Hamish and I didn't like you for a very, very long time. Yeah. And that was, I think he got over it earlier than I did. Well, I reckon I was meaner to you than I was to him also, is what I would say. So I'm glad that you said it because I was actually literally going to, that was going to be my next thing. Yeah. So when you guys first came along, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of resistance and and look, unfairly on my behalf, you know, in retrospect, you know, like, you know, and I'm glad that we've, you know, got beyond this now, but, um, uh, I was out of where you guys were 
uh, emerging. Yep. I was uh, removed from the situation and in my defense for the first bit, I'll, and I'll, then I'll take responsibility for what I did next, but um, I was probably getting some poor information. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there was a whole bunch of people who you guys had been foisted upon mm -hmm. uh, who, um, you know, because you guys were young yep. and you were put into a show where I knew a whole bunch of people that okay, were involved okay. in the show yep. and some of them were not happy that these two young people had been thrown into this, yep. this show. And so I was getting a lot of stories about, you know, how annoying we would be. Yeah, and exactly. I get, I get that. And to bring people up to speed, there's a show called Hamish and Andy, which was never called that. It was, we had done five half hour episodes on channel 31 and got a call. I thought it was Whipper. Do you know Whipper from the Nova breakfast yep. show? I thought it was him playing a prank on me. This guy rings up Channel 7 and goes, hey, Andy, I've got your number. You do a show called Radio Karate on Channel 31. We'd like to get you in to do a show on Channel 7. And I was like, you can't afford us, Whipper. And told him to fuck off and then said, are we going to have a beer this week? And the guy said, I think you think it's someone else. I was like, no, I think I know my mate's playing a prank on me. And then the guy hung up and I was like, oh shit, that actually could have been an offer for a job. I'm never going to tell Hamish I got that call. <laughs> so... We did. We got, we, we were the last cast members of what was meant to be a sketch show called, um, well, Big Bite was the original sketch show. Amazing performers on it. Andrew O'Keefe, when he was wanting to do improv, not be a, uh, a game show host. And uh, Chris Lilly was on it doing Mr. G. Um, Kate McCartney, who's gone on to do Get Cracking and the catering show. Um, and we were the last people joining that show. And we were just meant to be sketch performers. And then they saw Hayman and I do a couple of live things on our 31 show and said, okay, we'd like you to come out and do those audience bits. And we're like, okay, we can do that. And then it was called Fast Food, the show, great name. We came back in one day and they said, can we have a meeting? We went into this office and they said, hey, just so you know, we're changing the name of the show to Hamish and Andy. And we said, well, no, no, this is not, let's talk about this as a group with the cast. And they're saying, no, no, we've already told them it's fine. And then as 21 year olds in our first gig, step out and see everyone in there looking at you going, you've just stolen our fucking show. And I'm like, no, no. And we tried to talk to people and it just turned into a train wreck. It was awful experience. One that you'd love to do with your friend. If I was by myself, like that was another thing that strengthens you, strengthens you. You go, holy shit. If I had all these people hating on me and blocking me live on television weekly, um, this would be a disaster and no one was more relieved than Haim and I than when it got axed and people think, oh, that must be terrible. It's like, no, it was great. And what was also great about the axing after six weeks was the, it was enough for the press to go, actually, those guys had something and you just, you put 21 year olds on telly and then you ax them. So it becomes like a bad luck, a hard luck story. If they'd run out 12 episode season and it just died slowly because it wasn't very good. I don't think Haim and I would have got that next bounce in our career to get the next job. So the worst thing would have been if it was kept going and we just became insignificant for two seasons. Well, not just you guys, but like so many people are involved in that show yeah. have gone on to have their own individual careers that I bet have been influenced by the bad experience they had on that totally. show. You know, the way that they've all gone, no, I'm going to yep. do it my way. Chris Lilly being a good example. Um, you know, the you know, Kate McCartney, yep. those guys, all the... Going, no, when we get an opportunity to do something, well, we we're going to make sure it's not like that experience we had previously. We immediately, because we were like the the, the the face of a show that wasn't ours, sketches that were, weren't, some were written by us, some weren't, 
and then you're axed and it's not really your thing. We immediately incorporated our production company with no shows to do. <laughs> and they said, we're going to make our own shows from now on. We, we're going to live and die by our, uh, what we think's fun and funny. And that's been a philosophy for us is like, all right, let's not let someone else convince us that this is the path. Because at the end of the day, you're putting yourself out there and you're getting judged on that. And I much prefer to be judged on something that I did and I wanted to be, you know, the way I wanted it to be represented than to kind of just fall by the wayside for someone else's whim. So I'm going to frame this in rather than me saying any of these things, these things to be self-justifying, I'm going to frame them in what I now think about what I was doing at the time and how I was behaving and the lessons I've learned from that. Mm So the first one was that I was on Triple J and I was the, the one of my generation who at the time had a bit of a voice. You yeah, know, we were doing Glasshouse, well, I I Triple J. I used to watch Glasshouse. I was Adam Will fans. You know, and, like, you know, this was kind of my... It, it, I, I, I look back in retrospect and realize how ridiculous that, you know, that I was 28 or 29. I thought I was like the voice of like the young comedy community or whatever. But in my head, there was certainly a feeling of that. Yep. And there was a feeling that I was getting from people that, you know, here, here come these people who aren't even doing like stand up comedy, yes. very particular yeah, snobby about that. Yeah. And they're swanning in and I'm hearing these bad stories. So a, it's my responsibility to be the person who like, you know, is mean spirited towards <laughs> yeah, them. So I stupid, like ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. but that was what I was thinking. Yep. I realized how ridiculous in retrospect that is. And the lesson that I learned out of that probably more than anything is like, you know what? It's still okay to not like someone, yeah. but make up your own mind. <laughs> Meet them, work it out yourself. Don't just like decide that you have a vendetta against somebody based on a few rumors you've heard and an overinflated sense of who you are. Mm. The second one was that I think that sometimes you can learn the wrong lessons from people that you love. Now, yeah. one of the people that I loved, and I'm sure you loved as well, was uh, uh, Tony Martin McMalloy doing yeah. their radio show. Yeah. And one of the things that Tony was amazing at was like being quite snobby towards, you know, bad Australian comedy. Yes, yes, and, yes. you know, I had a great love and admiration for that. And yep. so I was like, oh, this is me being... This is me being Tony Martin. Look at me. I'm so, you know, like, again, just Tony Martin does it brilliantly and with class. And and I I certainly, you know, wasn't doing were, that. You got laughs. I, I don't, like, I don't, it's kind of like I don't begrudge you doing that. You got laughs for it. And the, our show wasn't very good. So that was fine. What was the hard thing for Hamish and I at the time was we were really trying. Yeah. Like well, really, of course. really trying. And then the shows that I loved and listened to, I was becoming a regular punchline on. And I remember watching the glass house once. And I think the joke was like the Sydney Olympics isn't ready or prepared getting into getting ready for that. Um, or just, or maybe Athens. I can't remember what it was. And it's like, um, they're, they're in dire straits. Gosh, they're even going to get Hamish Nanny to host. And I mean, it's not a bad joke. <laughs> And the crowd laughed and I was like, holy fuck, how is that a joke? But I got it. And then one other day, my mum rang and said, what did you do to Will Anderson? And I said, mum, I've never met him. And she's like, right, he really doesn't like you. I was like, I don't, I don't know why, but oh well. And I bumped into you in Sydney. I'm not sure if you remember this. No, no, yeah, Yeah. I remember. Um, And 
I saw you across the room at a restaurant and I was like, I've got to go and introduce myself to Will because I need him to have a face to this destruction. And I came up, you might've been on a date or something and I'm so sorry for interrupting, but I went up and I said, Hey, just, you know, I'm Andy from Hamish Dandy. And you said something along the lines of, oh yeah, when I show people through my house, I say, this is the Hamish Dandy kitchen for the amount of money I've made of jokes about you two. And I was like, all right, cool. Nice to meet you. And left. And I rang Ham and just said, Will is as big a fuckhead as you could ever possibly imagine. And he's like, right, cool. Well, let's just do our own thing. Um, and then, you know, to keep this, I need to get this out. No, no, absolutely. I'm glad that, keep, no, I, you know what? It was something that I was hoping we might talk, talk about, about anyway. So yeah. I'm glad that yeah. you are. So to keep, so then our radio show starts going well and it gets announced that Will Anderson is going to be up against us in drive, uh, with Limo. And I remember hearing that and Haim called me and just said, we're going to absolutely smash these guys. I'm never going to work as hard. And I was like, yeah. Which he did, by the way, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But what was interesting is like, we were going to do In fact, this. one of our best callers we ever had was Nikki Webster, who was actually <laughs> trying to ring you guys and actually just like went through to us. <laughs> yeah. There was this, we were doing this thing where I wondered, I'd, I'd, as a joke, hypothesize that it's not all bad being a Siamese twin. You can go to movies and two for one and all those kind of things. And someone said, well, why don't you do it? You see how hard it was. And so Haim and I were going to join ourselves together for, um, I think a week or something. And when we heard you were launching, we were going to do that that week. It's like, no, let's wait. Let's do that the week they're launching. It's the first time I've ever cared about anyone else we've ever been against. And it's just never been in our playbook. And Haim's like, absolutely. And we did probably one of the biggest things we'd ever done with far as coverage and people following that week. And I... We couldn't drive, so we had to wait for a cab to pick us up. And I was out the front of of um, <laughs> of SEA, the the radio station, with Hamish connected to me. And you left the building, and you walked past, and you went, "Gee, you guys put in a lot of effort." And we're like, "Yep," and and you walked off, and I was like, "Great, well, let's see how this goes." And um, yeah, it was it's it's awful to think that like that little feud was fueling us to be better at our jobs because it's never really where we'd come from. But it certainly was a good motivator. At the yeah, time. well, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because I think that, you know, in retrospect, that, like, I had behaved badly and I think that you were totally valid to react in that way. Interestingly enough, by by then, I had turned around, in my opinion. So yeah. while... By the way, it's much more, it's easy for the person who is the perpetrator of the hurt yeah. to change their mind quickly than it is for the person <laughs> yeah. who has been the receiver of the hurt, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's very unfair in life when the person who's the perpetrator goes, well, I'm fine now, yeah, <laughs> so everybody else should now have to be fine as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I've learned my lessons. I know that I behave like a dickhead. You guys are cool with that now, right? Yeah. Um. So... uh. I guess the the big thing that uh, came to me was the realization when I started listening to your radio show that you weren't, you know, like what I had heard you mm. were. Um, well, what was that specifically? You don't say who said it, but like, uh, like you know what it was. You you build up a profile like that, that's of the thing we don't like. That was what was really weird. 
Like, yeah, well, but people, it, I bet it wasn't even about anything that you guys were doing, mm. right? This is the point. People take small snippets and yeah. they start to fill in their own story. Yeah, so, right. yeah, they see guys who are young and funny and good looking and they start to think that they're arrogant or they're, yeah, okay. yeah they expect these things or they've swanned into this thing and they're like just pretty boys that the network's put in and they've got no comedy, tr- you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. so you build, you just start building a profile yeah. of like, you <laughs> know, to me, you guys were. You know what I thought you were? Like every American college movie where there's like some, you know, frat boys. Like that's, that was in my head what you guys were, right? And, um, but the other thing was that I didn't think ever, and I've come to the realization now, but for me, it was always, it felt like it was punchy up. I thought I was making fun of like, you know, commercial TV and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of like. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. You know, whereas in retrospect, I understand and absolutely understand your perspective on this, yep. which was you were just guys, you know, trying to do a good job and trying to work hard and do all these sort of things that were, were being punched down. Yep. Whereas like for me, it was like, you know, a punch out against the blandness of, you know, yeah, commercial television, commercial like. television and these sort of things. Whereas. I'd forgotten yeah. that Hamish and Andy were actually people, yeah. not not a brand or not a symbol of something, but yeah. actual people. And it was interesting to me. So there was two things that really, yeah, um, you know, turned me around, you know, and made me start to think well before, you know, we connected yeah. and, you know, became friendly, but like made me start to really examine like what I had done and what my role was in all this was one that was, I just kept hearing how hard you worked. Yeah. And if there's anything that I admire is hard work. Yep. You know, I've been somebody who's always prided myself on the fact that <laughs> yeah, people think that I work hard and, and you do. And I, I, I started hearing this all the time about you guys. Mm. You know, you, you wouldn't believe they yeah went and did this radio show for nothing. They, you know, they just believe in themselves. They're trying to create something. Yep. So that was the first thing. And then another time, and uh, I remember all these times you've talked about, by the way, very, very distinctly. Uh, one thing about me is once I regret a moment, yeah. uh, that what I've signed myself up to is replaying that moment in my head about every two weeks for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, no, this is good. I mean, honestly, yeah. I couldn't be happy that we're talking about this. Same. Because I, admit, because I think e- it's important. Even you asking me on this, I know this seems crazy, but even you asking me on this was like, Oh, cool. Like, I know we've exchanged pleasantries, but I was like, oh, great. Like, and. Well, part of my hesitation to ask comes out of the guilt yeah. that I feel over our, our past. Yeah. And it was hard to ask, ask Hamish, mm. but I feel like I wasn't as cruel to Hamish as I was to you. Yeah. And so it took me longer because I was, there was part of me that was like, well, if I ask Andy. Yeah. And he says, no, get fucked. I'd be like, no, fair enough. Absolutely justifiable. (laughs) And I would not have in any way had a problem with you saying that. Like, I think that would have been totally reasonable. And so part of the guilt that I feel over that is actually genuinely how reasonable Mm. you both have been in a way that neither of you needed to be, you know? Um, And so that first planted in my mind when we ran into each other and we talked about hot dogs from Big Brother. Do you remember that? We had a conversation around... Because I think about that as well, and to bring people up to speed about that is we had a segment on our show where we would listen to Hot Dogs Upgate Game Show. Hot Dogs was a guy, <laughs> Hot Dogs was a fellow who went on Big Brother, who was very boisterous, 
and thought it was very funny. He then got his own up late game show and he didn't quite have the chops to pull it off and would make constant mistakes and we would play the mistakes. Now I used to challenge myself on that and go, am I doing exactly what Will Anderson's doing to us? Now, the way I justified it, whether it's rightly or wrongly, I'm like, no, hot dogs, I mean, reality TV stars, and I'm, and hopefully I'm not being offensive to any reality TV stars listening, I was like, I just put you in a different bracket. You don't do the hard work to get to where you are. And it's and also, they go on these type shows like Big Brother, and then they steal all these young presenter jobs that people have been really trying to, and they can't present. So, Which ironically was... What I was mistakenly thinking you were that feeling, you were yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Which I, and I, I totally get that. So, yeah, I wondered, I wondered whether we were doing the same thing. I don't have a problem with it, but maybe I should. Maybe Hot Dogs is going to be on my anti-philosophy podcast in many years to come, and well, I apologize. I mean, you're probably less likely to run into Simon Deering in the corridors <laughs> than I am to run into you. So, you know, out of necessity, we also had to eventually make some peace. But I'm glad that we have, because I do genuinely look back on that. I'm glad we've had, the reason I'm also glad we've had the opportunity to have this conversation on this rather than, you know, necessarily off this, yeah. is that I think it's important for people to not just for me to acknowledge that I behave badly, but for me to say out loud, you know, in a recorded sense yeah. that I behave badly because I did, I thought it was funny yeah. and I thought I was being really smart. And I think some of the jokes were funny. Like oh, I'm not saying that yes. the humor itself was in itself, not amusing. Yep. I wasn't trying to be mean spirited first and funny second. I was trying that's to be true. funny first and means, you know, like, that, but that is, that is a good, that's a good way of putting it. And I suppose that's the other element of this. It's like, I don't think, I personally don't think you did the wrong thing. And when you say you're behaving badly, I think that like, I don't necessarily think you behave badly. I used to go, why choose us? <laughs> no. Like it wasn't like he's being unfair. I wish you weren't doing it, but it also like gave us a lot of perspective and it also gave me like, okay, I'm not going to hit at people coming up, um, whether I would or wouldn't don't know, but I learned that it's like, okay, I've learned how hard that was for me. Even if it's a killer joke, I pull myself now and go, actually, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll see. And I'll, and the other thing is do I just try to help and you do a lot now as well. I've seen it particularly with young comics. I just trying to help as many people break through that area of vulnerability of, do I belong here? Am I good enough? Because it slows down a lot of people. I was lucky enough to have Hamish beside me the whole way. And that's an interesting step. And you really remember those moments in life where you weren't sure whether you belonged and just someone said something nice to you at a Logie's where you, your first one, you don't know why. And someone comes up and goes, hey, I saw that. That was great. And you're like, oh, shit, maybe, maybe it's fine. And I try to look for those moments now only because I knew how much it helped or hindered in that case. Well, I think that's the other thing too, which is that I, sometimes I am thankful for when you feel like you have fucked something up yeah. because often the only way that you can then, you know, address that because yeah. you can't go back in time. You no. can't have your time over and, and not, you know, and not do it again. But what you can then do is, you know, have the opportunity to look yourself in the mirror and go, 
well, how do I behave differently in the future? Yes. So if you don't have one that's that big, mm. sometimes what you do is then just microdose <laughs> that level of aggression through the next 20 years. Yeah. Or you ignore it completely. People ignore their behavior all the time or trying to justify it. But it's so much harder to go, oh, fuck it. Back, back then, maybe I didn't see it at the time. I'm not suggesting that I should have seen it at the time either, but I'm going to learn from it is a much better place to be. Right. And that's, and that's the other thing. Yeah. Like uh, I'm not even saying that, you know, time again, it wouldn't happen again yeah. at that age in that no. place. You know, I understand all the factors and I've thought about it a lot, yeah. you know, uh, that went to that, yeah. But you know, th- was the girl impressed? By the way, at the um, at, on the date, was it a date or was it your girlfriend? I reckon it, uh, I, I don't know the timeline. I have to do the timeline, <laughs> but it's either girlfriend or yeah, yeah. just before the girlfriend. So <laughs> yeah. either it went really badly or it, w- it went it went quite well. So <laughs> it's right in that zone. Yeah, um, but uh, it's yeah, it, it's interesting that idea that you're often also not aware of the effect mm. that your words have. Mm. Because I think the the final thing that it probably taught me was, because up until that point, you know, and it's a weird juxtaposition, isn't it? That mm. you think that, you know, A, that you have this important voice, but at the same time you have this idea that none of the things you say really matter. matter. Yeah, exactly. And, you, you and so that first time you really way. notice yeah. that it matters yeah. to someone, and some people, I don't care that it matters. Like some yeah. people, I'm very happy to. Yeah, offend. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. If Clive um, Palmer was listening to my radio show <laughs> yeah, this morning, yeah. I mean everything that I said, Clive, and we're never going to have an episode of this where I apologize for what I said. I stand yeah. by it. And I wondered that as well. I was like, if Haim and I weren't successful, I, would Will have felt remorse? Like, or would Will have even thought about it? Now, probably not. It's interesting, isn't it? I... I, well, would you remember? No. You so remember. that's the bit, right? Yeah. So would like, you remember? So, so I'll give you an example of yeah. what I mean. Might as well get them all out in one yeah. go. Uh, somebody, it would have been about 12 months ago and I had written something nice about, you know, how supportive I'd been around something. And then a bunch of yeah other people had written nice things underneath that. And then Tracy Bartram, do you remember Tracy Bartram? <laughs> so Tracy Bartram had then written something and said, well, you wouldn't think that if you'd heard what he said about, and it was, again, it was one of those TV sh- those short-lived TV shows, something that she was involved in. Yep. I can't even remember. Yep. So to your example of being, would I remember? Yep. I didn't remember until that comment by Tracy that yep. I'd made some mean-spirited joke about the cancellation of... Her show. Her show. So very much in the exact yes. same vibe of what we're talking about. Yep. And I have thought about that Tracy Bartram comment. Really? Like so much since, but I wouldn't have even known that it had happened. Yes. Up until. Well, she reminds you. So I think there's a part of your point that is absolutely valid, which yep. is that if you're not reminded of it or if you're not made aware of it, would I be thinking about it? Mm. No. But once you're aware of it. Yep. Do I then have the capacity to put it aside and not think about it? No, <laughs> no, I don't. So actually, yes, Andy, it would have been a lot easier if you guys had just fucked off and gone away and then been everywhere. <laughs> I could have gone on, patting myself on the back and thought I was a wonderful person. It's, it's also like people go to me in home and 
oh, you know, you're, you're so nice to everybody. You, you, and it's like, we pick targets. I have people that I don't like the way they've behaved and I will try to belittle them, mm. hopefully in a clever way. But, and you do the same now, I think, Absolutely. which is great. And so it's not a, it's not about, oh no, everyone should be nice, hold hands, kumbaya. I, I think that's a boring world and I love people having opinions. And that's why I, was, I don't necessarily saying you're doing anything wrong. I, I just wish it wasn't me back in the day. Um, but I think that's important to note. It's like, I will try and give people benefit of the doubt, but as soon as they're doing something that I don't agree with very happy to snipe them because that is a power that we have and you don't realize you have. And when you talk about before about how you didn't realize how all your words can affect people and, um, and I, and I, Heyman, I thought, talk about that a bit, but the main one we had was at, there was a time when the radio show was particularly big where politicians wanted to come on all the time and, and us politicians and I know Obama wanted to come on and there was this point where like, this is, this feels weird. They, they're not doing it because they think it's funny and they want to hang out with Hamish and Andy. There's an agenda here and we've never really wanted to be pushing someone's agenda at all without knowing now, except advertisers, we'll pull it. <laughs> we'll take that commercial dollar. <laughs> but so there was a, a point where. I think it was Kevin Rudd wanted to come on or Julia Gillard. And I said, I said, well, they can come on, but we have to offer it to the opposition because I actually don't follow politics at that time. And I don't care. And I would hate by proxy for people to think that we are endorsing this person. And that was the first time where I kind of realized, oh, wow, we can actually, and people in the media do have an important voice where you can actually sway public opinion, not all public opinion, but a few. And in election races, that might be important. And the only time, you know, obviously there's charity and stuff, but the one that I felt really passionate about and talked to him about, and he did as well, and we said, okay, well, let's, for a change, be political, was marriage equality. Mm -hmm. Like, don't know why, I mean, I do know why. It's such a beautiful, important thing that everyone should be have the right to do. But it definitely struck enough with me to go, okay, now we are going to say that this is our position on this, which is something that we hadn't really dealt uh, up much over the, over the journey because we've always thought people tune into our show to escape. I don't think it's everyone's responsibility to be making sure that we're saying the right thing or getting the country in the right direction. I think it's fine just to be an outlet. And I got asked on, I think it was on Tom Ballard's show, uh, on the ABC is like, you deliberately avoid politics. You know, do you want to try and keep everybody happy? And I was like, not for my sense, but I do want to keep people happy for their, for, for everyone's sense. Like why can't, why it's not my responsibility to tell you where the country should be going or what this opinion that it's like, no, I feel my responsibility is to try and make people laugh. And if that's an escape, that's the best thing that we can do with our voices that day. But there are occasional topics that pop up and you go, okay, I want to speak on that. I think there was certainly a time in my life where I would have been a, a, a lot more aligned with Tom's opinion on that, yeah. which was that, you know, if you've got this, you know, opportunity, you know, to speak to people, then if you're only using it to entertain people mm -hmm. and you're never using it to, you know, call out things good or bad, that perhaps you are wasting that opportunity. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, you have this huge audience and these group of people that you can affect 
you know, the way that they think. Yep. And by avoiding these things, you are making a statement in itself. Yes. Yeah. You think that you're not talking about that. You think you're not being political, but the very act of not talking about politics is political. You know, yep. it, it, you're supporting the status quo yep. because you're not tearing down the status quo. Now... I'm much more of the opinion that there's a lot of things out there. And if you want something, if you want to find something that's tearing down the status quo, that is also available. I mean, what's interesting about that is, and like, we never broadcast this, but the amount of, we love fan interactions. Our shows are about fans. I've always been on, or we don't even like calling them fans, our listeners and, mm. and, and people participating. It's the amount of people that write in saying, my dad died thanks so much for the last three months, or I've just got through cancer myself. I listen to the podcast. So on. I'm a soldier and I save up all the podcasts because I have to do this amount of time away from my family, or I have to sit in the mountains in Afghanistan for 40 days straight. And this keeps me going through, um, mental health. You know, I've been really down this, you go, I re we get that nourishment cause it's direct. We get to read them and go, cool. That's uh, to me, that's the best thing that that's to help people opposed for going for wilder swinging things of, you know, global change. We will help those out. And it's not like we're going to, I know what you mean about if you ignore it, you're letting it go. And there is elements of that to me when I just don't feel passionate enough about it, or we just choose different channels because the show is sacred for hopefully making people have a lighter day. Uh, so let's uh, ask if you have a philosophy mm -hmm. because, uh, I still want to, you know, this yeah, was great, yeah. but I still want to like talk to you yep. uh, cause we're going to edit all that bit out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, so what's your name? Uh, <laughs> Particularly the parts where you were admitting a little bit of being a dickhead. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know what? I actually feel like that I, this may be the first one of these that I, perhaps I get more out of than the guests because, this has been something that I have. Did you bring it up with home? We didn't really, yeah. no. But I feel like you're the right person out of yeah. the two to bring it up with as well. Yeah. Um, because, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're the person who um, is a bit better at calling the bullshit out and to actually have a genuine conversation. You know, Hamish has that great charm that eventually... Yeah. You don't want to, don't want it to be too awkward, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yes. whereas you rolled the dice a little on bringing this up of yeah. going, well, you know, it's my podcast, Yeah, exactly. you know, I, I can, was... I can edit it however I want. I could just not put it up if yeah. I wanted to not put it up. Mm. Like, but I felt it was cathartic for me yes. just to even the fact that you asked me, I was like, I have to talk about this. Yeah. Well, like, uh, funnily enough, like, as I said, it was literally the next thing I was going to yeah. talk to you about anyway. Right. So clearly we both wanted to talk about <laughs> yeah. it, but for me, it's something that I've carried around for a fair while. Mm. And I've always felt like even despite the fact that we are now friendly, yeah. we have not been able to become friends because yep. we have not had this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I and, totally agree. And I'm really pleased that you I agreed to do the podcast. Yeah. And when you agreed to do it, I was really hopeful that we would have this conversation. Same. And I feel like I will walk away from this with like, a heaviness lifted off my shoulders. I'm the same. And what's weird is like, 
you're the only vendetta I've ever had. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Well, industry. hopefully that won't. <laughs> now you'll take your foot, foot off the pedal. You're like, <laughs> it's, it's a really, driving force. It's really, it's really weird. It's a, but it's nice. It's nice to talk about. So let's get to my philosophy. Okay, yes. So I want to talk to, yes. Let's. I've got two. Good. One is, one is borrowed or learnt because I needed to. And then, and the other one was what I always lived by. And the first one I always lived by was just enjoy the journey. Like just no matter what it is, enjoy the journey. Don't worry about the outcome. Um, and that was what I find the most fun in life. Um, whether it be relationships, I'm, I'm not, I don't look too far ahead, which might be pulling my girlfriend's hair out and, um, and all things with family. I'm not that person that goes, oh, mum might not be around much longer. We should do this. It's just like, no, nah, let's enjoy what we're doing right now. And if I find myself not enjoying it or about to sign up to something where I'm like, oh, the outcome would be really cool, but it doesn't seem like much fun on the way there. Normally it's a no. Um, that's, that's important to me. And our shows and the way I perform hopefully comes across that way. If you sit in that and just, you know, I, that's why Haim and I weren't particularly good at stand up when we started is we, we never like saying the same thing twice. I, you know, seeing you guys all craft a joke and have that exact punchline and then see it again, it's actually just slightly tweaked, but even better. And, and those things grow that didn't thrill me because the actual journey of let, oh, here's a fun area to play and let's all go muck around there for a bit and then leave it. That one's where I prefer to play. Well, I think that is very reflective in your work. In fact, it feels like a mission statement for the sort of work that you do. Yeah. I mean, often when I would listen to your radio show, like early when I listened to it, I would be just confused by it. I was like, what's the, like, yeah, what's the where point? are the jokes? <laughs> what's the point of this segment? Like, but you know, after a while I was understanding what it was, was like, here's a, an area mm. that we think will be fun for us to hang out in. Yep. And now we will hang out in it and you guys will enjoy our joy of hanging out in this area. Yeah. And, and hopefully get on board and add to it. You yeah. come and play as well. Yeah. And I, it took me a little while to understand that. But once I understood that, I was like, oh yeah, right. I, yep. I totally get this now. And this is why it works. But you're absolutely right. It was never about let's get to this punchline or let's perfect this thing. Or oh. it's very much like, well, here's another thing. Yeah. Let's do this now <laughs> yeah. and see how this is. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll, we'll do this other thing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And we won't, it won't necessarily be better than the thing today, <laughs> but it'll be another thing. And the producer used to always go to us. So what's the end game? Like, I don't know. Like, well, we need, we've got to build it to something. It's like, no, we don't. We think this is funny now to explore this. And if it becomes the greatest chip ever sold, that's fine. Or if it fails dismally because we try to rig a raffle in a country newspaper to win a bull um, and it doesn't work, that's also fine and funny as well. It's just like that all... It's, it's like, don't think about that five minutes at the end of three weeks of fun radio. That what that that bit at the end where it's, oh, yes, they were triumphant. We didn't let everyone down. That's just, if we, got, if we know that we're trying to get to that certain point, we know the roadmap. That's a boring journey. Being able to stop off any or go any, dire any direction on the way there, that was going to be more fun. So it's an easy thing to say. You know, mm. enjoy the journey. Like it's what, you know, what everyone will tell you in mindfulness, yes. right? But it's definitely something that a lot of people have trouble actually doing. Yep. You know, is actually just enjoying the moment and being in the moment and convincing those around you 
Yep. Like, you know, I look at, back at, just because we've talked about me a bit today yeah. in relation to this, I'm just going to contextualize this, that a lot of, you know, particularly up until about age 30, you know, I was just so insecure that I didn't belong or that what I was doing was not good enough or that if I just did what I wanted to do, yeah, they, this is probably the better way to put it. If I was actually just me, yep. that wouldn't be good enough. So instead I was trying on a whole bunch of hats, you yes, know, I'm yes. trying to be Tony Martin or I'm trying to be Paul McDermott or yep. I'm trying to be, you know, because I'm like, well, these people are, you know, good at what they do. Yeah, yeah. So I will try to be Bill Hicks or I'll try to be, you know, whoever, as opposed to going, well, maybe just doing what I want yep. and who I am. Whereas it's always felt through your work mm. that you and Hamish have done a much better job of going, no, 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 we're, we're going to not try to be Martin Malloy, mm. you know, we're a duo, but your show's nothing like, you know, no. Tony and Mick's show was like. Whereas when I've done those sort of shows, they've actually, you'd be like, oh, well, I can tell that like that joke that he does now is kind of because he grew up listening to Mick and yeah. that <laughs> thing he does is because he grew up listening to Tony. Whereas you guys were very aware that you were doing something of your own. Now, was that something that you discussed with each other or was it just something that came naturally to you? I think the benefit again is friends before you're not put in a duo. Right. So we're friends before we even, and we'll make each other laugh and find these things funny before we even decided to do radio. So that's what drew us in to it. Opposed to you've got the job now, here's the guy you're working with. That's, that's a really different experience. And, and, like, like I mentioned at the top, that's why I just love being in a duo because you don't have the self-doubt. If you do, you ask your mate about it and they're going, it's fine. I feel invincible when I'm beside Haim. Um, I think he has a strong, because he is, you know, the funny guy, but you know, we both be funny, but he does have hold up a lot of the comedy heavy lifting at times. And if we're in doubt, you know, I even look across the room and go, <laughs> Come on, come on, mate. you know, so, <laughs> so I've never been worried right? in a duo. Like, and I, and I can be, we're cheerleaders for each other, but I love what he does. And I sit there and I go, I think I know where I can make Haim shine here. And he does the same vice versa, but I have. <laughs> okay. But I guess what I'm asking is how did you have the confidence or the, um, it doesn't even have to be confidence. Confidence feels like the wrong word, but how did you communicate that to everyone around you? Cause even if you we're, are we're just aware lucky. of it, I think we were lucky. It went well quickly. Yeah. Right. I, I honestly believe that we, it went well quickly. And so producers are going, oh no, we don't really do this. And we're like, wow, well, we're doing it and it's working. And then the upper echelons are coming down going, guys, that's awesome. I haven't heard anything like it. And you're going, cool. So if, if we dipped, if, if there wasn't this huge rise in ratings, I reckon that would have been really confronting for the two of us to go, okay, um, maybe we should be listening to them. Maybe we should try and, you know, do these, but I think that is just one of those lucky bounces. I know we had the axing earlier, yeah. but we got axed when it wasn't ours. If we got axed when it was ours. That will dent your confidence. That when you, that's when a lot of self doubt would creep in. So, I think we're lucky, and if people don't have like we're lucky, we had that success quickly, and we also there was a lot of things that went right for us when we started radio. All other radio stations had decided not to compete and drive. Like drive shows weren't happening, so the the radio station we're on was at an all time low. 
Oxfam at the time, um, pop music was about to become popular. Like the year before we started, it was the Strokes and Silverchair and Powderfinger and Franz Ferdinand. And suddenly on our first year, we have Rihanna coming in to do the show going, hi, my name's Rihanna. I've just written this song called OSOS. I hope it goes well. Uh, next week, Lady Gaga, there's a song called Paparazzi in the studio. We're going, oh, we probably won't see these people again. Um, <laughs> Katy Perry for I Kissed a Girl. Literally doing whatever you would do to get your song out there. So you're having these relationships where you're like, hey, will you try this? Yeah, anything. And they're the biggest stars in the world now. So people flock to the station at the same time as we started and for the music. I'm very proud of our show as well. And there wasn't much competition, which gave you this great wave to start surfing. And then that gave us, you know, this confidence just to just do the show, have fun with it. So, yeah. And then you have that ride now and you can carry it. It's much easier to carry it into other parts of your life. How do you, um, once you become super successful, keep, you know, that attitude of, you know, no, I'm still going to just continue to live my life like this. Yeah. I think that just you either in you're either an addict or you're not. I honestly believe that. I don't think people go to me, oh wow, and you still go to the pub with your mates, you still sit in the outer and the foot and you're like, it's just not that hard. It's like I don't want for fast cars and yachts and all those things and so it's like you know, people would say to Heyman, Oh, you you know, you're still grounded, still and you're like, No, I just didn't care. Where other people it's important to. So if they were going to get that money and you see it with a lot of young sports stars, particularly in the U S they get their money. They've seen all, they, they see things that represent success to them, which is all the bling and wealth stuff. And so they want to sh- portray that with, with all those show off tools where ours is about, I don't know, we just like doing the show. So we're lucky in that respect. Uh, okay. So that's your one that you've stolen. Yeah. Uh, what's the other no, one? No, that oh, that, was, that was the one from you and the other one you've stolen. Here's the one I've stolen. Okay. And, um, we've got plenty of time, by the way. I know I've pushed back to 11. Oh, is that all right? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. So okay. Thank you. You're welcome. To, no, 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 no. You're no, welcome no. to wrap me up though. No, no, no. Um, that's yeah. good for me. Um, if no. I was conscious of your yeah, time. Yeah. So, um, the one I've taken, I shouldn't say stolen because they're put out in a self-helped. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I think that's fine. I don't think that's stealing. <laughs> I think, I think that's actually the entire intention. They put them out and then you're meant to. You're meant to steal yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or take on board. Yeah. There's a book called Loving What Is. I'm not sure if you've read it. No. Um, there's an audio book of it as well. So if you can't be bothered reading, um, <laughs> oh, that, that felt like a judgment. <laughs> no. Thought we'd made our peace, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't the, look like a reader. It's the way Think you'll find I've brought my glasses <laughs> right. to this podcast. No, so. I, I did the audio book as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, essentially it is, which has been really great for me in recent years is it, it's essentially as loving what is, it's like reality is reality, you know? trying to change people and or getting upset with someone's behavior when you know that that's just who they are, why bother? And that has been really interesting for me, for my relationship. Um, Beck is an anxious person and I used to get frustrated. Why are you worrying about this, all this stuff? And what I realized it's not, it was making me anxious because she was worrying about her anxiety Mm was making me anxious and I wanted to try and fix her mm. in a selfish way to fix me. And now, and fix is the wrong word. People and, are allowed to be anxious. And the other thing is that I'm sure that, I mean, you've put that in a way that's very self-deprecating, but I have some experience in this area. So yeah. 
it's not just to fix her so it's easy for you. It's because you see how the anxiety is causing that person, you know, pain and, and, you know, and you don't want them to have that pain. Yes. So particularly as a man, but not just as a man, that's (laughs) a cliche, but there's certainly an aspect of the the way men approach that, which Hmm. is like, well, here's a problem. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let's fix this problem. And then everything will be fine. So I was getting anxious or frustrated with, with that and it was affecting me. And, and then in reading this book and going or listening to it, I, it's saying it's okay. It's okay. That is reality. It's okay for Beck to be anxious. And as soon as I start thinking that I was like, Oh God, it was my choice to be worried about her. Now it doesn't mean that I don't care about her, but I don't worry about that anymore. And I feel better about that. Mm. And I'll still help her and give her tools, but I'm not wasting energy. And, and the example they use is they go, you come in and, and a wife might go to their husband, hey, Paul watches too much television. It drives me insane. No, Paul watches that amount of television. And as soon as you choose not to be worried about that, the whole weight's lifted. And I've found that across, I know it's, it's like choosing not to worry is, is a hard thing to do, but we don't, everyone has their little idiosyncrasies and just because they're not doing something the way that you wanted it to be done, doesn't mean that's wrong. Or even the way society wants it to be done, doesn't mean it's wrong. If you can go, oh, I'm just loving what is. If I just, if I know that that's reality and I'm willing to sit in that, you know, if someone would go, I really deserve that job. I can't believe I didn't get it. Maybe you didn't. Or A, you didn't get the job. So that is a fact, sit in that and respect that and then use those tools to, you know, put your energy somewhere else. It is interesting, isn't it? Because it's so easy to be caught up in somebody else's energy Mm. and somebody else's, and to start, then your brain very naturally starts to make value judgments. It becomes about too much TV or it becomes about the way that they approach something is different to the way you would approach something yeah. and then instead of being able to go, well, yes, they're two very different things, yeah. uh, you know, no doubt, two very different ways to approach that. But instead of just going that, mm. you start to go, and my way is the right way, way to approach it and <laughs> yeah. their way is the wrong way to approach it. i got friends that go, oh, I'm sick of this person. I always try and organize dinner. They pull out on the day. Mm. I was like, you've known this person for 10 years. Yeah. We have this conversation probably every six weeks. It's like, why are you so surprised one <laughs> and why waste the energy on being upset about it? Because to me, that's wasted energy now, but I used to do it a lot. And so that's the, that's a new one I'm working on. I still do it. Of course. But that's... And look, there's a level of, you know, worry and concern that, you know, it's still appropriate to have. <laughs> You'd be like, you know, Beck's doing a lot of heroin, but I guess that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess that's what she's, I mean. <laughs> it's reality. <laughs> I would say too much heroin, but I guess that's my, I'm, I'm putting my thing on her. Exactly. It's Didn't not we a... used to have a TV? <laughs> I'm not watching as much TV. The upside is not watching <laughs> anywhere near as much TV since the TV's gone. <laughs> that's very true. So, so yeah, it is better to be balanced, but I suppose it's about, you can help someone without being excessively worried yeah. about it. Well, sometimes also the worry doesn't help. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like the, the worry is just, mm. well, now, you know, uh, like worried, worries shared or worries doubled, not worries half. Yes. You know, sometimes. Yep. Yep. And yep. Uh, I think that's a, an amazing one because 
it is so hard to know the difference. Mm. It is so hard to know the difference between I want to be there for somebody and I want to be support to somebody and I want to, you know, but without it then becoming that you are also now, yeah. you know, enabling worry. Right. It's a really strange thing. Some people I notice, and I, I'm bad at this and I've got, I've learned to be better. I used to, um, disregard people's worries if I, I would judge whether it's significant. Um, and I think it comes from like, my mum was really sick for a long time when I was younger. Um, and so people would come to me and go, I don't think Tori likes me at school. And I go, who gives a fuck, mate? Like that, that doesn't land. That's not a, that's not a legitimate worry. My mum's dying. So that's not a legitimate worry. And, but that was a really, that's wrong. And I think that's completely inaccurate. And I feel like someone's level of anxiety can be obviously the smallest thing. And some people can lose a person in their life and not feel the same level as someone might feel for running late. And that's a trauma that we should acknowledge, not to enable them and go, no, no, it's all airy fairy. But I was bad at, at, at helping people. I just judge whether I thought <laughs> their worry or their problem was good enough and then go, ah, oh, don't worry about that, which never helped. It's such a tough thing when your eyes open up to, and I think this has been part of the problem with the, you know, what we're understanding now about the way that women have been treated in our society, even in just the day to day. Mm. Like, I mean, I think that, you know, if you're a half, you know, decent, half educated person, you understood the headline issues, yes, but you didn't necessarily understand the day to day experience of like, and often would diminish when somebody said, Oh, that guy was looking at me creepily or that guy was blah, blah, blah. You'd like, Oh, come on. I'm sure you, yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Whereas you're like, Oh, well, firstly, now you're kind of realizing, yeah, he probably was. Guys are, <laughs> yeah. guys are always looking creepily at women, so you were probably right. But secondly, it, even if it were, you are, the point is that you are concerned and you feel that that was happening. Yeah. And that's what I should have been acknowledging rather than diminishing. Yeah, exactly. It's not what's weird about life and, and, and probably frustrating and probably why HR people are in every this corporation are pulling their hairs out because we don't have HR at triple <laughs> no. it's, it's causing too many problems. <laughs> they were like, we can get rid of all the staff or just get rid of HR because it's not about actions anymore. It's about how someone feels about it. And I struggle with that sometimes because I, I sometimes have a get over it mentality, which, and look, I still, and I still think some people are too, are too cradled. But it, it, I'm going back on my own point. I've, I've got to snap out of that moment time, at times now and go, actually, no, the, the clearer situation here is so how does this people, person feeling? And I think the, the one with women where you were raised is, is, is a great one because unfortunately we've created a society where if my girlfriend's walking home, she is now scared and we live in the safest neighborhood. And I'll go, what do you mean? Where her sister, who's half the size of her, walks home and she's not, but it's not that I can go, Hey, Beck, Poppy's right. Mm. Nothing's going to happen. It's just, no, I get, I get why you feel that way. And I, we hear all these stories and we're, you're a very vulnerable situation. Um, hopefully we can turn that around with enough people seeing it and people don't have to feel worried or scared in that next generation. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. Um, I really love this one. We haven't really talked about this much ever on this podcast. It's a really fascinating topic for me. Um, how, 
How do you deal with self-improvement? Because to externally, when when the world views you as being super successful, you know, you're, you're really good looking. Um, I know you, you feel that's my go-to with you. Yeah, it's like, if we're ever working together, all my jokes now are around. Well, see, look at how I've turned around yeah, <laughs> the way that I will find laughs at your expense. Yeah. Now it's about how successful and good looking you exactly. are. There's look no, at the lessons no I've learned. <laughs> so, but, um, uh, you know, but you, you're a person. Mm. You're a human being mm. who, like, day to day, you know, has self doubts mm. or has things about yourself that you clearly, you know, wouldn't be proud of or don't like, yep. or all these sort of things. It, is it sometimes hard to to even have that sadness or have that moment, or because people go, "Well, what's he got to worry about?" Yeah. One of the things that I've really has caught up with me mm. uh, in my life is the idea that I've always felt like, because I was one of the people in my group and generation or whatever, who's always been reasonably successful yep. at what I've done. In yep. fact, the only thing that never went badly was a radio show I did called Will and Limo, because <laughs> these fucking assholes, Hamish and Andy, were really good. Uh, but, you know, I've always had a, yeah. a reasonable level of you know success at what I've done. Mm. And so I've always felt great guilt about asking for help when I needed yeah. help or even complaining about things because mm. I'm like, who, I don't have the right to yeah. complain. Everybody has the right to complain. Everybody has bad shit happen to mm. them. But I imagine if you're Andy Lee, mm. the world thinks that everything in your life is always brilliant. How do you then, when you don't have those moments, you know, yeah. are you good at being able to go, no, I'm allowed to be sad. I'm allowed to be angry or jealous or whatever it is. I, I love the question. And I think what, what I think is the key to it is that, the measurement of success we're all told is either money, power, or notoriety. And that's just not where I'm measuring success or trying to learn not to measure success on. And heaps of people in my life um, helped me with that. I remember my, with my dad, like my mum and dad are both primary school teachers. And I said to him, did, would you ever want to, did you ever want to be principal? You know, like that's, isn't that like the, what we're right. all yearning towards the top of the chain, <laughs> the career, path. <laughs> the career yeah. path. And he's like, no, um, just wanted to be a dad. As soon as you guys came along, I just wanted to be a dad. And he said, and every time a friend of mine goes, oh, I saw, you know, Andy doing this or my sister writes children's books. Now I saw that or my brother's in a band or he saw that they he just gets this amazing amount of self-worth and he's like, I've been successful. And no one's, so everyone has their different measurements of success. And that's one thing that I had to learn because I was in that same path. I was like, no, nah, I'm making more money than that person. So I must be more successful where I've got a friend of mine who's an accountant, doesn't want to go up the tree. He doesn't want to work up to a promotion, loves clocking on at nine, loves clocking off at five and not thinking about work at all, going home, hanging out with his children and just having fun, going to the footy on the weekend. And you look at him and go, gee, that's, maybe that's success. Like zero worries. Like I take work home with me all the time, particularly if we're in production, I'm get, I'm very obsessive and, um, Beck knows it. And so there's forced breaks. <laughs> so 
I, yeah, I think that that is the thing is going, well, what actually is success? And for me at the moment, it's about getting better balance. Hamish is fantastic at it. Hamish goes to, I would work as much as you do. You work a lot and I love that. And that's what drives me. And I get a lot of self-worth out of that. But Hamish will go, Hey mate, I don't want to work. I want to hang out with Rudy and Sonny and Zoe and I'm taking three months off and I'll go, great. Well, that's reality. <laughs> like I'm not going to fight it. Five years ago, I probably would. 10 years ago, I'd be going, come on, man, we're on this great journey. We can't do that. But thankfully we're young enough and those things weren't coming up, but he's like, no. And so if that becomes a new reality, I'm forced to slow down. And then I go, actually, I should maybe hang out with family more, or maybe I can go help out these people or do this. And that's, those things are, are great, but it forces a lot of other people around me to kind of help me kind of centralize in on what is success or not. And balance is a good one. And look, I still get jealous. We, we, I think we all get jealous. I try not to. I try to step back from those, those moments and go, hang on, before I react. Uh, so that emotion, jealousy, that's, that's a good one. What other dark, is there any other darkness? Like if, when you're at that moment mm. where you're having you know, those dark thoughts, is, is jealousy the main one or is there other ones that? Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel a little bit lucky that I, I, um, I don't have self-doubt uh, with career. Like, I where just, do you think that comes from? Um, I used to love just trying everything, you know, like, and so even when I was growing up, I just tried lots of things and some I was good at, some I was bad at and it didn't, didn't matter. So like, I like trying, I don't have that thing of going, this could, uh, we shouldn't try that. It's all well thought out, but I, I know, I just feel like Maybe it's also the advantage of being in a duo. You're like, now together, I feel like we've got enough smarts to make this final good, whatever it might be. So that one doesn't creep in like I've seen in other performers. I also think maybe that's an advantage of not being the front and center comedy person in that duo. It's easier for me to kind of just nuts and bolts it a bit and still take glory at times. And so... You don't have, there's not much self-doubt with regards to that. So you're, you're, you're not putting, you may not be as putting as much on the line. So it's like. A, you just don't, don't feel like I've really introduced a segment like I used to. I really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that might be one. As far as, um, I used to, I, I, I did worry, um, with regards to relationships a lot. That was, there were some really tr- trying times for me and dark moments, um, where it's, it's, I suppose the emotion just, is just sadness. Um, and I felt like, am I going to find anyone that can be a life partner? Just the, is like even the term life partner, I used to struggle with anyway. I was like, we all meet so many people across our lives that we float in and out of like the only people you really have to stick by is your mum and dad and people drift away from them as well. So like, is that putting too much pressure? I always felt the pressure of that and whether I'd find the right person. Um, and that was, you know, that was sad, like at, at times. And it's not like, and people might go, I'm sure you went on plenty of dates. I'm sure it wasn't hard. You're like, yeah, that can become even more depressing. It's like, cause you, you can go on dates with lots of interesting people and attractive people and all these things, but you go, how is someone going to break through this shield for me where I'm like, okay, I'll let you into my life for potentially ever. 
And I'm glad I found that with Beck, but that was definitely over the journey, probably the, the hardest period. And so, I mean, you've, you've hinted a little bit already, you know, in our discussion about the idea that, uh, you know, so firstly, what you say there is like, yeah, potentially forever, which I think is the, the best thing that you can say yeah. because anything else is putting way too much pressure on it. Like the idea that two people come together in a way that they want to hang, hang out with each other right now is a miracle. Yeah. Let alone the idea of going, Hey, do you reckon that we're going to also like each other exactly the same as we do now in 20 years? But that idea of going, well, at some stages, this is going to be hard work mm. and I'm going to have to change who I am or mm. examine who I am or examine the way I'm reacting to who somebody else is. I'm going to have to learn about accepting somebody for who they are yep. and then how I deal with that, you know, and I've got to be willing to do that work if I want to. And I had arrogance in that realm that I think that would be, as far as dating, I think that would be the a great way to put it is like I had arrogance because I was like, I don't think you're good enough or oh, I can find someone else. Oh, you know, like it's, it's not going to be hard for someone who has money, um, and is relatively attractive and is well known yeah. to find a partner. So you're very good looking. Don't <laughs> understand. So, uh, so, you, <laughs> so you can, that was, that's it. There was an arrogance there that I think held me back a lot of, of going that extra step to letting someone truly in. Because if anything was remotely wrong, I would go, eh, maybe I can find something. Mm. And it was an awful way to date. I feel like she watches TV too, too much. much. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful way to date because when, if I'm projecting that, there's a natural parallel imbalance immediately. Right. And I think all relationships, you've got to, for a good one, um, whether it be work or life or, um, or a partner, um, uh, you need to have a pretty equilibrium with regards to power. Otherwise it's not going to last. And you have to have, and if, if there is not an equivalence, mm. you have to have an awareness yeah. that it's not fair. Mm. You know, I have to have an awareness that if my relationship broke down, it would be much easier for me to go on with my life just in a practical sense, yeah. not in an yeah. emotional sense. Yes. In an emotional sense, I would feel it equally as, as, as difficultly, yep. but in a practical sense, you know, uh, it would be easier for me to move on with my life. And if you don't acknowledge that, if you live in that world of just, then, then I think also you are, it's very unfair. This is, I, I'm sad that we have not been friends because I enjoy talking to you very much and I'm, I hope that we will be now, now. but, um, uh, I want to finish up because there's a few general questions that I always ask and we're, we're actually at the time. Uh, we're, we're over the time I was meant to have, but you've generously pushed about 20 minutes based on how well the first bit went. And <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that imaginary appointment he had to get out at 1040 has now disappeared. Um, so, uh, I want to ask these ones, uh, what do you think happens when you die? Nothing. Yeah. So do you, you don't have an overall belief system of some kind. No, I mean, I love the idea that I get to see all my loved ones. Mm-hmm. So I sit there and go, okay, that's a be nice cool. idea. That, that'd be cool. Yeah. Whether if, if I was hold to task to have to defend mm-hmm. it, I'll go, gosh, sorry. Don't know. Yeah. I, I'd like to I, see him again. I don't like the idea that they're looking at what I'm doing in my private yeah. time. <laughs> 
Because then it's going to be really awkward to run into grandpa. (laughs) It's going to be like, what's the internet? And what were you looking at? Actually, my grandpa would be fine with it. Grandpa, he'd be going, gee, you lived in a better time than me, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's where I sit. Okay. Which Um, which disappoints my mum and dad. Oh, they they religious? Not anymore. Partly. Mum is part, like... Yeah, I think it's the ever-growing trajectory of religion in Australia, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so does death, uh, do you think about death? Is death a mm. present thing in your mind? Yeah. Um, <laughs> weirdly, I think, um, and this is going to come across so awful, but um, it's like, I don't think dying young is that bad. In fact, I think that, um, you know, I've had so much fun already. It's like sometimes I go, God, if it all ended now, what a great run of things. Um, the idea of getting old worries me more than death. Like if I know getting old leads to, to dying, but the idea of sitting around in my nineties, not being able to move and just, yeah, that doesn't excite me at all, but I'm not worried about death as, as such. I mean, again, I really love that answer because I think that I'm the same, mm-hmm. like quick death. Yeah. You know, often like on a plane, you know, if it ever drops yeah. like really suddenly and everybody else around panics, there's a part of me that goes, actually, I've got a really busy fortnight. This would be, <laughs> this would really exactly clear up my schedule. Okay. To be and, I was like, and boy, I reckon, yeah. I was like, would I have a state funeral? Yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably not. Probably not quite yet. <laughs> if Hayman and I went down yeah. at the same time, perhaps. Yeah, you both would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're almost done, uh, but I want to ask you this. Um, uh, do you have any, uh, if you are given a time machine opportunity mm. to go back and, and do over a moment in your life, yep. would you take it? And if so, what would that moment be? Um, yeah, there's, 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 there's probably only one now. There's ones you think you have. You know, you think you might, you should have fought for a relationship more or something like that. And then you get, you drive, you get further away and you go, actually, nah, like that's, but, um, the one I have was my mum was, um, so my mum had a, a very rare disease. She forgot how to walk, talk, who we all were. Um, and, uh, she was in hospital for, I don't know, eight, nine months or something. And during that time, I wasn't great to my sister. And, and she was becoming a woman at that time in that age, you know, 13. And that's probably the one where I go, we all were dealing with it in our own way. We all had to become self-sufficient. I like, as, um, Mike, who helps you with the podcast, he knows I like things being ordered and, (laughs) and to a schedule. And so I parented a bit. But it just didn't matter. And there was like, you know, you, you should have been unpacking the dishwasher, you, you know, this. And just was on her back when uh, there's only males in my house outside of my mum. And I was just on her back and pretty, not mean as in like doing mean things, but just not understanding and not really helpful emotionally to her at all and hassled her about things that didn't matter during that time, which that would be a good one to perhaps approach differently. And uh, last but not least, do you think that anybody has a misconception about you? And if so, what do you think the misconception is? Um, I think there's 
I think there's probably plenty of them. Um, I think probably, I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't know. People probably think that I slept with more women than I have. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty juicy one. I reckon that's, I reckon that is the vibe. Yeah. Only because it got played into Yeah. But that's, I know certainly my girlfriend thought that. But I was just like, <laughs> not going out this sleeves bag. I was like, you'll be surprised. <laughs> yeah. You might've heard of a bunch of them, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of others. <laughs> yeah. That might be it. <laughs> hey mate, uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Uh, and thank you so much for giving us the extra time as well. Really uh, plugs. It. I'll put plugs at the start, obviously, but right, yeah. um, um, let's do some plugs at the end as well. That's uh, just our podcast, I think. Yeah. Hamish and Andy, Andy podcast, yeah. very popular yeah. podcast. Oh, talking about my generation. Oh, yeah, so oh, will, will it be done? It'll be done by good. the time. But uh, two weeks from now, is oh, it? No, you only got yeah. talking about your gen. That'd be great. Talking about your gen. Seven, sorry, seven thirty. Seven thirty on uh, Wednesday night. Seven thirty Wednesday, yeah. and um, at some stage, you and Hamish. Well, you're off to film something, but is yeah. that a next year sort of? No, nah, it'll be at the thing? end of this year. End I of this year. They're gonna. I mean, I think it'd be smart for them to wait for the ashes to finish because I because I want to watch that and don't want to and don't want to promo our show. So maybe just post Ashes, October, yeah. November. Look, to be honest, if you could just not uh, make it Wednesday night at uh, 8.30. I can do that. At that end, <laughs> end of the year, that'd be really, really handy for me. Uh, thank you very much, mate. Appreciate Cheers. Mate. Great fun.